turn there, I want to talk to you today about the great multitude uh, that is described for us in Revelation chapter 7. The young men are doing a great job taking up the offering today. If you didn't put in enough, they've been instructed to come back and take it a second time, all right? So uh, I hope you all did a, a, a great, a great, great job. Well, this morning I want us to uh, honor God uh, as we read his word together. Again, Revelation chapter 7, beginning verse 9. I want us to honor God by standing together uh, as we read his word and give full attention to it. So stand with me. Let's uh, read the word of, of God together. John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, people from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation begins to our, uh, belongs to our God, uh, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and, surrounded the el- uh, and, and around the elders and around the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise, and glory, and wisdom, and thanks, and honor, and power, and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where do they come, come from? And I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation, They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them, and never again will they hunger, and never again will they thirst, and the sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Father God, as we have read your word and turn now to dig into its implications for us right now today at Chester Christian Church and around the world, I just pray, Lord, that your spirit would uh, be amongst us, that you would uh, speak through me, and that the application would come from uh, your word through your spirit into our hearts. Father, impact us uh, in a way that we've never been impacted before today. Cause our minds to be open, our hearts to be open, to see the harvest field as you see it, our world around us. Bless us, Father, as we study your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat and uh, I, I hope you have a sermon section in the program so you can take some notes on the message this morning, and that would be fantastic. I'm glad to have uh, our uh, uh, elementary age uh, children with us because they're going to be taking part of our prayer time uh, with you as we close out the service uh, this morning. Now, if you have been, <coughs> excuse me, if you have been with me this year, you know that my my preaching goal for this year is to create eternity-focused disciples for Jesus Christ. Now, this section of Scripture cuts to the very heart of what it means to be an eternity 
focused disciple of Jesus. Now, last time we met together and studied the book of Revelation, uh, we left John in chapter 5 and 6 of the book of Revelation in the throne room of God. If you turn back to John chapter 5 in the first six or seven verses, you read one of the most dramatic events that's ever taken place in history. As the scripture says, uh, the lamb was standing before the throne, that's Jesus, and uh, looking as if he had been slain. And the scripture says that he takes this magnificent book that was sealed by seven seals. And if you were with us last time, we studied through chapter 6 and found out that as Jesus opened each one of the seals, another one of God's massive judgments was poured out on the earth. He pours out wars and economic collapse and death. And the question is, why does God pour out all of those judgments on our world? And the answer is given in the last part of uh, of verse 15 and 16 of of chapter 6. Because there, God shares that he's doing that because he's calling the world to repentance. God always wants people to repent of their sin. God always wants people to come uh, into knowledge of the grace of Jesus Christ. But in verse 15 and 16, you'll notice, rather than repenting of sin and turning to God, the Bible says the nations of the world, the kings of the world, rich people and poor people, rather than turning to God, run and hide from God and ask that the caves would hide them and the rocks would protect, uh, protect them from the punishment that God is pouring out on them. Now, in contrast, in the first three verses of verse 7, if you were with us last time, we read about the sealing of the people of God, a seal, an imprint of ownership of God on the people of God. And this will become extremely important as we study later on in the book of Revelation. Because the sealing of God, we read here, is like God placing his imprint on the forehead of people who know him, Christians, believers, and Jesus Christ. You say, well, I've never seen a Christian with the imprint on their lives. Well, the scripture says and defines for us what that seal is. Write it down if you haven't already looked at these passages of scripture with us before. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, and also 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. We read there that the seal of God is none other than his Holy Spirit residing in us. Friend, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. And that is his imprint, the scripture says. It is his seal of ownership, the scripture says. And it is his seal of protection. You might say, well, I don't feel very protected sometimes from the issues going on around me in life. It doesn't mean that we won't face issues. It says that we will be protected through those issues that are taking place in our lives. Now, this morning I want to turn to the last half of uh, of Revelation chapter 7 to a section of scripture that's been called by one writer uh, one of the most exalted portrayals of heaven in all of scripture. And it is. But what I want to share with you this morning is that from silence, it is also one of the most stark images of hell and all of Scripture as well. Now, this morning what I want to do is portray for you two pictures, give you two pictures from this last half of the seventh chapter of Revelation, and then I want to remind us of our mission as a church, not just this church, but every church given by Jesus Christ. Now, the first picture that I want to share with you 
is the picture of the great multitude. The picture of the great multitude. Read about it with me again in verse 9. John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count. Remember, he's looking into heaven. And he said, They're from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And they're standing before the throne uh, and in front of the Lamb. And they're wearing white robes and they're holding palm branches in their hands and they cry out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now friends, I want you to understand that this section of Scripture speaks of the fulfillment of God's heart for global evangelism. Well, you notice the breakdown as he shares how the gospel is being spread all over the world. He says it just to every nation, to every tribe, to every people, and to every language. I don't know whether you know this or not, but God has always had a heart for lost people. He's always had a heart from the beginning of the Bible through the end of the Bible that everybody on earth know about him and his glorious presence in their lives. As a matter of fact, there are over 1,600 verses of Scripture that describe God's heart for people that don't know him. I'll give you just a few. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover over the sea. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6 says, I will make you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. John chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus says, open your eyes and look at the harvest fields. They are ripe for harvest. And the passage that Clay read just a few moments ago, Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. Now notice Jesus doesn't say, go make disciples of the easy nations. He says, go make disciples of all nations. Now, friends, I want you to understand that the gospel is expanding all around our world in unprecedented levels uh, right now today. And I am so thrilled that we have missionary partners right in the heart and soul of what God is doing to take the gospel all around our world. Through our friends at Disciple Makers Ministry, and some of us will be taking a trip to Honduras in about a month uh, with Disciple Makers Ministry, they're taking the gospel to Central Asia. Let me tell you about two national uh, Nepali evangelists that you and I as a church uh, provide their full, their full salary. Their names are Simon and Devendra. One of the exciting things about the nation of, uh, of Nepal is that less than a generation ago, there was no church at all. Nepal was totally closed to the gospel. But in one generation, not only is Nepal open to the gospel, but the, Nepal has, uh, the gospel has exploded in Nepal. Now what you need to know is that Nepal is, is one of those nations kind of like, uh, kinda like uh, uh, our friends to the south, uh, Mexico. Nepalis, just like Mexicans, will work everywhere in every kind of nook and cranny and jobs that most Americans don't even want anyway. So Nepalis travel all throughout Central Asia into nations like China and Tibet 
and, uh, and into India and Pakistan and Qatar, Muslim nations, places that you and I could never reach. Our friends, Devendra and Simon, are just two of better than 60 evangelists that we support uh, uh, accomplishing that task. Or I could talk to you about uh, our good buddies, David and Barbara Cobb, who lead a ministry uh, taking the gospel to the tribes of northern Ghana. Through two of their local evangelists, Austin and uh, Amanda Ganya, they are taking the gospel into sections of Ghana, tribal sections and Muslim sections that you and I could never even reach into because of our skin color or our nationality or the language that we speak. Last Sunday, you met two of uh, the great heroes of, uh, uh, of uh, our missionary partners, Jonathan and Rachel Kraft. They're in Texas this weekend for a conference. Uh, but they are reaching into the nation of Myanmar, the, I'm sorry, Myanmar, taking uh, translating scripture into a, a tongue that doesn't even have the Bible uh, translated into its own language. They're completing a dream with Pioneer Bible translators and Wycliffe Bible translators to start a Bible translation project in the last 2,000 languages that don't have a copy of the scripture in their own tongue by the year 2025. Now that's exciting. You and I can almost begin to imagine the gospel reaching into every nook and cranny of the globe. But to those Christians who first read this book, that was beyond their wildest dreams or imaginations. Now let me help you picture the readers that first received the words that we read right now. Go ahead and show the map there if you would, Eva. And I want to show you where we're talking about. This is the map of our world, the whole world. The nation of Turkey is right here. And the seven churches of Asia that received uh, the uh, letter of the book of Revelation were in the western portion, the far western portion of the country of Turkey. Now the church was less than 60 years old. It began in Palestine. It had spread to the nation of Turkey, modern day Turkey today, Asia Minor of the time. And for those Christians living there, it was impossible for them to imagine the gospel going to Russia or the gospel going to India or the gospel going to Australia or the gospel going to Africa, or the gospel going to South America, or the gospel ever even coming to the United States where you and I live. But today, we see the gospel spreading in all of those people. As a matter of fact, of the 7.1 billion people alive today, there are better than 2.2 billion Christians. That's an amazing statistic. Better than a third of the world's population are Christians. But that was beyond the grasp of those individuals living in Turkey at the very last of the first century. To them in tiny, small, struggling churches on an outpost, mission outpost, it was impossible for them to believe or even be able to conceive of what God was going to be doing in our day. Let me give you one word that captures what being a Christian during those early days was all about. It's the word tribulation. Write it down. Tribulation. In verse 13 and 14, you read that word. It says, then one of the elders asked me, these are white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And I answered, sir, you know. 
And he said, these are those who have come out of the great tribulation. Now, I know that that word for individuals who are students of the book of Revelation, that word causes a huge amount of conflict because people automatically go to war over, uh, you know, that word. And people ask, are you pre-tribulation or are you post-tribulation? I've had individuals ask me, Neil, are you pre-trib, post-trib, as we've gone through this study of the book of Revelation? What they're really asking is, is Jesus going to come back before the tribulation and take all the church away, and we want to experience all of that, or is he going to wait till the end of the tribulation period and then come back? Well, what I want to tell you in answer to that question is this. I believe that question misses the entire point of this section of Scripture and misses the entire point of the book of Revelation. You see, that argument, tribulation, by the word, by the way, the word simply means a pressing together, a distress, an affliction, or persecution. That very word is a word used over and over and over in the New Testament to describe uh, enduring, encouraging Christians to endure that horrendous tribulation. The Bible oftentimes says, be faithful even to the point of death, and, uh, and constantly reminds us and encourages us with, us with those words. Jesus says, John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, the words tribulation, but you take care because I've overcome the world. In Acts chapter 14, verse 22, it says, we must all go through many kinds of hardships. Anybody ever gone through a hardship before? The word is tribulation. But he says, uh, you're just going to have to go through that to enter the kingdom of God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 13, it says, we glory in our sufferings. Anybody ever suffered before? The word is tribulation. Because he says, sufferings produce perseverance. And perseverance produces character, and character produces hope in the life of the Christian. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, everyone who wants to live a godly life. Anybody want to live a godly life? He says, anybody wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The word means, or the word is the word tribulation. Folks, I want you to understand, for those first century Christians, and that nation of, uh, of, uh, uh, of Turkey, uh, and for the 55,000 Christians who are going to die for their faith today, and for every believer who's standing tall for Jesus Christ, and for every Christian that is suffering or in deal, uh, dealing with illness or abuse of whatever kind, tribulation is not some sort of pro- prophetic future event. Tribulation is current, and it's now. And God's promise to those who stand strong for Jesus is a word of comfort for anyone undergoing tribulation, even you and me. Listen to what he says is the outcome for Christians who stand strong in the face of tribulation. Verse 15 and 16 and 17 He says, therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. And never again will they hunger, and never again will they thirst, and the sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. 
for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will lead them into springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Friends, I just want to remind you and encourage you that if you're going through tribulation today, it's not going to last forever. Even if it lasts to the end of your life, that's not forever. That's just the end of your few years here on earth. Be faithful unto death. Don't give up. Don't turn your back on Jesus Christ. Stand strong and stand tall in the face of all of that. And God will bless you throughout all of eternity. But there's a second picture I want you to notice in this section of Scripture as well. And that is who is missing from the great multitude that is described for us in this passage of Scripture. And that is what I describe as an even greater multitude. You see, he's describing the great multitude that he sees when he looks and he, looking into heaven and he sees this incredible multitude of people that have stood strong and faithful to Jesus Christ. But folks, I want you to understand that there's an even greater multitude from every tribe, nation, and tribe, and people, and language who do not know Jesus as Savior of their life. These individuals are individuals who are also coming out of great tribulation during centuries past or in the present or in the future. But they have not washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. They aren't before the throne of God, serving Him throughout eternity in His temple. They aren't sheltered by the presence of God in heaven. They are individuals who will spend eternity hungry and thirsty and beaten down by the scorching heat of hell. Those are individuals who have no shepherd, who will spend eternity with no springs of cooling water, and whose eyes are soaked with the tears of uh, their rejection of Jesus Christ. Who are these people? Well, they're your family and your neighbors and your co-workers and your friends right around the block who have rejected Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives. Individuals who will spend an eternity in a Christless, Christless hell. Who are they? They're the nations and the tribes and the peoples and the languages, the names of one-third of our world's population given around you on the great wall of prayer received from uh, my good buddies at You for the You, uh, Unleashed for the Unreached. They're individuals who's, who, who have never been reached with the gospel before. They are unreached. Folks, did you realize that our, in our world, there are 16,000 different people groups. I'm not talking about different nationalities, not American. Different people groups, individuals within a nation are spreading over a greater nation uh, who are part uh, of a people, over 16,000. And almost 7,000, as a matter of fact, uh, 6,900 who have never, ever been reached with the gospel. Folks, the names of the people groups around you today represent 2.5 billion people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, about a third of our world are Christians. About a third of our world are individuals who live in nations like our own 
who have had the gospel preached but have just chosen to reject Jesus as Savior. But about a third of our world, 2.5 billion people are unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're also unengaged. They have no missionaries. They have no church. They may have no scripture in their own language. No one is trying to reach them for the gospel. Now, there's a reason why they are unreached and unengaged. For two reasons, really. One, number one, it's a challenge, man. These folks represent people that are in hostile environments. They live under harsh and hostile governments. They live in places under hostile religious uh, that if you would become a Christian, you would be ostracized from your family, your business would close, you'd be thrown out and shunned by your family totally. If you shared Jesus Christ with someone, you might even go to prison, and better than 55,000 people in our world will die for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ this year alone. But there's a second reason why they're unreached and unengaged, it's because no one has cared enough to reach them with the gospel. But folks, I want to tell you about my good friends that unreached for the unleashed, uh, unleashed for the unreached, who have such a magnificent heart for connecting churches just like our own with other churches and with other people in other parts of the world to reach unreached people groups for, the, uh, for Jesus Christ. They're looking at the world's harvest field of lost people, and they're saying, we can do something about this. In fact, we must do something about this. In fact, we are going to do something about this to make sure that at least everyone on our planet has the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Folks, as we close out our service today, we must become eternity-focused disciples of Jesus Christ, who see the greater multitude. Because you see, it's not just about seeing heaven that I'm talking about. We must be disciples that focus on seeing the eternity of people that have rejected Jesus Christ as Savior of their lives. Now I'm going to ask you to do two things this morning. We're going to close out our service and we're going to sing at the end, but before we do that, we're going to give you some time to do two things. Number one, we shared with you last week that we were going to be receiving a love offering today so that we can uh, share the gospel with people right here in our neighborhood around the block. We're starting that process just right away, and uh, we need funding to be able to do that. I've placed a basket here on the stage, and I'm going to ask you in the next few minutes, just get up out of your seats. You're going to be out of your seats anyway. Uh, and bring an offering and place it there. You can write a check. You can uh, bring with your children and have them drop something. Everybody can give something, and all of this is going to go to local outreach uh, evangelism, okay? So make sure you do that. Secondly, around you today, you have the names of 6,900 different people groups who have never been reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seats and walk around and prayerfully just read through the nations and the names. You'll not have time to read them all. We're going to take about seven, eight minutes to do it. But you can just walk around and, and see the names of countries. The Holy Spirit may lead you or guide you to some specific country. 
uh, and uh, beginning with Afghanistan and ending with Zimbabwe on this side. You might notice that the nation of India, man, it goes on for six panels describing individuals, uh, people groups that have never been reached with the gospel. There are brochures that are at the end of both, uh, back in the back, on the tables. I, I just want to pick up a brochure, and in the brochure, there's a little card there that's a commitment card. And if you would desire to become part of a great army, to say, I want to do something about this. Maybe I want to be a prayer warrior. Uh, I, I'm not asking anybody to leave and go to Botswana. Uh, you know, that's not the point. But maybe it's, I want to be part of helping a team go to Botswana or somewhere. I, I don't know where that might be. Just sign that card. Just sign it, give me your email address, telephone number, and drop it in the basket also. All right? Let's pray together. I'm going to ask you, everyone, take your children. What a valuable thing for them to see men and women, young and old, praying over the names of, of, of lost people all around our world, people groups that have never heard the gospel before. Please, nobody leave. Please, nobody leave. Let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then I'm going to ask you to get up and move. Father God, I just pray in the next few moments you'll just open our eyes, open our eyes to the world that you see that is lost. Father, bless us during this time and cause uh, us to see the world as you see it. Holy Spirit, come, we pray. Holy Spirit, impact our lives. Help us to see uh, what you see every day when you look at the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Get up out of your seats, make your offering, pray around the room this morning.